back with you uh, speaking. I haven't spoken in quite a while. It's been more than a few months. Uh, last time I spoke, I stirred things up so bad, I didn't think they were going to let me speak again, but uh, that's, that's all right. Kyle was in a jam. He's, he's out uh, getting a well-deserved vacation, so I was fortunate to be able to jump in and, and help. I've been extremely busy lately. This is the busy time for me. Um, school was wrapping up, trying to get all the kids taken care of. Track was wrapping up. I had two kids. We were trying to get to state. Just missed. Uh, my youngest son graduated this year, so we had a big open house. So we were getting ready for that. So thank you to those who've been helping me out around here. Mark's kind of picked up the slack. He taught a few classes and, and uh, done some different things. And, and so thank you for that. But I've, I've also been very busy battling cicadas. I don't know what they're like at your house, but, I mean, at, at my house, there's thousands and thousands of them. And it looks like somebody, uh, you know, went around with bags of peanuts and just threw them all over the ground. I mean, just heaping piles of them. My son, Cody, who lives in, uh, over in Piqua, he, he was out this morning, he was borrowing my truck, and he was standing out in the yard going, what's that sound? What's that sound? And all he could hear was a brrrr, you know, the, the whole thing. And it was unbelievable just how much racket those little guys can make. And they're all over everything. Um, it, it's just unbelievable. I have to go around with a leaf blower, blow them off the deck, blow them off the, you know. It's unbelievable. Well, I was glad to be able to to speak today, and I want to start off with a, with a prayer, if you don't mind. So if you bow your heads and, and, and pray with me. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohunai Adonai Ehad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. Well, with that simple prayer, I think I kind of you know, let the cat out of the bag, what we want to look at today. And, and I've been very impressed lately around here at church, too. There's been a lot of work getting done lately in, the, in the, uh, the realm of really trying to teach what it is that, you know, our church represents. What, what are some of the basic beliefs of our, of our doctrine, of our church here at North Hills? And in the greater conference that we're a part of, and, um, you know, what I want to do today is, is simply to challenge you in a way to, to simply ask yourself the following question. What is it that I really believe? And why do I believe that? It's something that's important. Kyle has definitely spent a lot of time, a lot of focused time on trying to teach these different ideas. And for many of us, it's... You know, in a way, it's kind of an academic exercise. Yeah, we're learning all this stuff, but what's the big deal? You know, who cares? Well, I, I kind of want to look at that a little bit and make the case to you, yeah, it, it, it does kind of matter what we believe, what we, what we ascribe to, what we talk about. And uh, to do that, I just want to look at one specific 
set of beliefs today. Just to, just to review, Kyle has talked about this a lot. He talked about it in his seminar class. I know he's preached on it several times, and that's the idea of the unity of God, because that really defines who we are as a, as a church group, as, as a body. And I just want to use that doctrine as an example. I don't want to go through and, and try to go through the basics of all that again, but I want to use that as a, just as an example you know, in, in God's word, it's interesting. There are several ways in which the Lord has chosen to, spoke, or to speak to us. I, as I went back through the Bible, I was like, well, he, uh, uh, angels, he would often use angels. They'd show up and they'd have a message. He used uh, visions or dreams. My favorite one is he actually used a donkey one time. I thought that was pretty cool, you, you know. Thinking about a donkey. We had a donkey get loose in the neighborhood about a month ago. I'm riding home, and there, I'm driving down 55, and there's a donkey coming up in the opposite lane. I'm like, what? I'm like, you're in Champaign County now, you know. So we, you know, the whole neighborhood, we were catching his donkey, and I'm thinking, you know, God used this animal to speak to, it, you know, pretty neat. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's uh, towards the front of the, of the book. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to find a unique way that God shows up to speak to a man named Moses. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, you know who Moses is. You know, Moses, Moses, you know, he's Charlton Heston and the thing. Well... In Exodus chapter 3, God is going to show up and speak to Moses through a burning bush. Kind of neat. Uh, we have a uh, tree man came out to my house yesterday, cut down four trees. I have tons of brush. We are going to have a brush pile. You know, when we light it up, they're going to see it from the space station, I think. I mean, it's going to be so bright. And I think about that, you know, maybe God will speak out of the, the burning bush or something. I don't know. But, but uh, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to kind of pick up talking about Moses here. Now, Moses, if you remember, he was, he was raised in an Egyptian house, household, as a, almost as a prince, as a, a man of power and status. And, of course, he, uh, he gave all of that up. Uh, when he found out that he was a, uh, actually a Hebrew, uh, he uh, got in a scrape and killed somebody and ran off and disappeared into the desert where he uh, went and uh, ended up living with uh, who would be a man who would become his father-in-law. And we pick this up here in chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock on the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, uh, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> the, the, the bush isn't burning up. I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why is the bush not burning up? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
And he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I'd be afraid too. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. At the mention of the word Egypt, I'm sure Moses' gut went, oh, no, not Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to deliver them to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious place, and I'm going to take you to the promised land and all this. Moses, therefore, verse 10, uh, come now and I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses immediately, what? Me? Are you kidding kidding me? I've been hiding out here in the desert for 40 years being a shepherd. That's what I do now. I, I, I I don't do Egypt anymore. God says, uh, look, I'm going to send you to the sons of Israel. You're going to go there to them, and they're going to ask you. Moses says, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. What, what, I'm telling you, they're going to ask me, who is this God that, that sent me here? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. I am. You know, before anything else, before explaining himself as to what the mission was, before he was worried about what's going on, God said, before you do any of that, you need to tell the people, I am. Moses, you need to know, I am. The people need to know, I am. In other words, before anything else, Moses, before anything else, the people of, of, uh, of the Hebrews, they needed to know that God was real. You turn me down a little bit. I feel like I'm ready to... I'm gonna make a, I don't want to blow people up here. I'll do that later. Anyways... Um, you know, we think about who is God. You know, before anything else, God would probably ask us the same thing, or at least want us to know the same thing. I am. Before anything else, I want you to know that I am. I exist. I am here. I am eternal. You know, to some people, God is a you know, in some religions, he's a fat man sitting cross-legged outside a temple. You know, he's doing that. Or he's a great spirit woven into everything. And, you know, people are, are confused about this idea of God. And today it's very difficult for the common man to, to believe in God. We have more people interested in UFOs lately than we do about finding God. You know, UFO sightings are all the rage again. Uh, you probably have seen the video, the little dots that zip around, and they're like, what in the world is that? 
It's interesting. What if we found out extraterrestrials were real? Think of the new religions that would pop up because of that. Think of all the weird ideas, how easy it would be for people to discount the idea of God. What a way to deceive people into thinking that God is, is fake. You know, in Christianity, before we even think about stating our faith about salvation and forgiveness or the resurrection and the return of Jesus to the earth, we have to confirm in our minds whether or not we believe there is a God in the first place. Do we really believe that? What you believe, it does matter. You know, I hope and pray everyone here knows that there, there is a God. Since I was your uh, interim pastor, we've had some new families join the church. And I haven't yet really had a chance to really get to know them that well. But I've met some of them, and some, some of them have some very interesting stories. I find it interesting that as Kyle has tried to promote and teach more about our unique beliefs... People have been attracted to that. We have had new families attend because of some of these distinctive beliefs, specifically the idea uh, in uh, biblical Unitarianism, the one God, God the Father, Jesus Christ, his Son. What we believe matters. And we want you to understand, Kyle and the elders and, and, and all of us, that uh, our God is not some confusing, mystical trinity influenced by, you know, the politics and religion culture of the day. But, you know, we want you to, to know that what we believe really does matter. It really does matter. God didn't just show up to tell Moses, hey, I, you know, I exist or I'm here, but the way that he said it has meaning as well. The word I am. He said, I am, not I was, not I, not I used to be, not I might have been, not I might to. No, he says, I am who I am. I believe if God appeared to us, he would remind us above all, first of all, I am who I am. He refers to himself as the God of your fathers. He's the same God throughout the ages. God's name is almost, you know, as we look at it in the Bible, his name, if you want to think of it as a name, is specifically we would use the word Yahweh. Kyle has preached on this many times. The word Yahweh is actually built from the Hebrew words for I am. It's in his very name. What's your name? I am. <laughs> oh, okay. Every time we hear the word Yahweh, or every time you see the word Lord in the, in the Old Testament specifically, uh, they thought, uh, the Hebrew writers often thought, look, we can't say the word Yahweh, it's too holy. Let's use the word Lord. Think of that. Every time, I am, I am, I am. It's encouraging me to know that God 
chooses to reveal himself in that way, I am. You know, the world changes every day. Our culture changes all the time. Uh, Bertie made reference, you know, pray for our country. Why? It, we're in constant flux. It changes, it changes. We live in a, in a society, in a culture now, where change and relative belief is, is very, very popular. But God is the I am. He doesn't change. He's the same today as he was yesterday. He's the same as he will be in the future. It's interesting. We take this, uh, this teaching, this idea of God saying, I am. And many of our Trinitarian friends point out that Jesus also referred to himself as I am. And they believe that that's evidence that Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. One of the first things that Trinitarians will, will do is say, uh-uh, Jesus himself said he's God. Here, I'll show you. And, and they'll, they'll get in there and turn back to John chapter 8, which is where I'd like for you to turn if you have your Bibles. John chapter 8, let's see what Jesus actually said concerning this idea about God. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. I'm going to kind of summarize here for time a little bit. Uh, they're having a, Jesus and the Pharisees, they're having a big argument over who Jesus really is. Who are you? You've stirred up a lot of trouble around here, Jesus. Uh, you know, we want to get to the bottom of this and find out if you are who we think you say you say that you are. Uh, da, 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 da. Where is that? Oh, yes, here we go. Let's start with verse 53. Surely you are not greater than your, our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you say you are? You're not saying you're better than Abraham, are you? You're not better than all of the prophets that came ahead of you, are you? Jesus said, look, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. So many people jump on that and say, ah, oh, Jesus right there, he's saying he's the, he's the great I am. Let's take a closer look at this. The Greek phrase for the word I am, okay, you realize they wrote the Bible, that they didn't use English. Okay, they used Greek, Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic. So somebody has to translate that into English. And the Greek phrase for I am is a word that literally it means ego imai. It literally means I am he. Okay? I am he. The Hebrew phrase back in Exodus 
when God said, I am who I am? It's a Hebrew phrase, and I hate saying this because I always get it messed up. It's ha y'all. <laughs> ha y'all. I keep wanting to go, ha y'all, you know, y'all ha. You know, it sounds like you know, God's getting a southern twang going here, but ha y'all. It's a phrase that means coming to pass, to continually come to pass, to continually be. It refers to eternality. When God said, I am, what he meant was, I am eternal. I've always been, I exist now, and I always will. In John, when Jesus said, look, I am, what he was saying is, it's me. I am me. I exist right now. If I looked over there, look, I'd say, hey, aren't you, aren't you Russ Dickerson? Isn't that guy Russ Dickerson right there? And, and I accused him of being Russ. If Russ stood up and simply said, hello, I'm Russ Dickerson, ego am I? He would be declaring that, yes, I am Russ Dickerson. I'm the one that you're referring to. Now, if Russ stood up and said, hello, I'm Russ Dickerson. Ha, y'all. That, that's quite another statement. <laughs> He'd be saying, I'm Russ Dickerson. I'm the one who has existed in the past. I exist now. I'm always going to exist in the future. Sorry, the phrase is... They don't mean the same thing. Jesus is not declaring himself to be God the Father. He emphatically is recognizing and agreeing with the Pharisees that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Jesus is claiming that before Abraham was born, I was coming into existence. In other words, I didn't exist forever. At some point, the idea of me as Jesus, it came into the eternal God's mind. After that, the plans to put my existence into motion came into being. So before Abraham was even born, God had decided that I would be the Son of God. I would be the Messiah. And that's a summation of the whole argument that runs through the book of John. That's what the whole book's about. That Jesus is the Son of God, not God himself. So there, I've just made a very lawyerly uh, explanation of, of what we believe about the unity of God. You know, most sermons that I've ever heard about that, that's where they stop. But I always had a lot of questions. And the big one to me was, so what? You spend all this time teaching this. We write all these books about this. We have all these seminars about this, about how what we believe is so distinctive. It's so different from others. You know, you know. so what? Well, I think that it does matter, that it is a big deal. It's a big deal, and I really do think that we as a church realize and appreciate the distinctive flavor of our theology. And I think I'm starting to see that happen. Most of the time when I preach, I'm always trying to point out the beliefs of, of the greater Christian church and how a lot of what we believe 
you're going to find it in any other church in America. There is so much more that we have in common with our Baptist brothers, our Methodist brothers. Why do we want to focus on the differences? But yet, for just a moment, I want you to consider the differences. Understanding who God is, for example, understanding what God meant when he said, I am, is actually kind of important. Because the reality is that in the greater world of Christianity, we are we're outliers. We're misinformed. We're false teachers. We're heretics. At best, greater Christianity treats us like a kind of like a nice stray dog. What a nice doggy. Yeah, you know, I don't care if you're around. I, I don't want to hurt you because you're cute and all, but, but I don't want you to get too close. And uh, you're sure as heck we're not going to keep you. The truth is we do think and believe doctrine that most Christians find incorrect on one end and downright heretical on the other. And I bring that up. Uh, there is a family who has been coming uh, that had that experience in the church where they were attending. They had mentioned to the pastor, this is kind of what we believe, what we see the scripture teaching. They were branded heretics. How'd you like that when you go to church? You're a heretic. Get out of here. I'm going to turn you over to Satan. Maybe he'll discipline you and you'll come back, you know. The culture of the world is a changing thing, and it changes so fast. And the, the culture of the American church is changing with it. Where do we fit in to all of this? See, even Siri's interested in what we're talking about. Ask Siri if Jesus is God. I wonder what, wonder what Siri would say. I don't know. Where do we fit in? You know, where do the faithful biblical Unitarian believers fit in? You know, most of the Christian world would agree that you and I are, we're nice people. You got a nice church. But you're biblical idiots. You're false teachers. You're false believers. In fact, many don't even believe that we're Christians at all. That our faith in Jesus Christ is not valid. Because in order to be saved, you must believe that Jesus was God himself. Because only God can die for the sins of the people. And if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not saved. Well, I'm here to tell you I am saved. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you are saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was the Messiah, the one sent to save us, to bring about God's great kingdom. You know, Kyle's correct. We need an understanding of what it means to be a part of God's church. He's been preaching on that for weeks now. Do you understand what being a part of the church really means? 
Are you ready to accept that most people really, you know, look at our church and they're very perplexed? Man, you guys seem like a real church, but and you got some funny beliefs. I don't know. I did a little research on the word cult because I have been hurt, have been told that we are a cult by other Christian groups. Brothers and sisters in Christ, no, you're a cult. One popular Bible teacher, a guy on the radio that a lot of you probably have heard, he said, Protestant cults are like fake products disguised in impressive packaging to lure weak Christians. Since people tend to believe them if their cult name is found in the Bible, they'll then search for nice biblical phrases and use it as a name of their newly founded cult. What do you think is the world's most used cult name? Church of God. The term cult is often used by the general public to describe any religious group that they view as strange or dangerous. I feel like Darkwing Duck. Anybody know who Darkwing Duck is? Let's get dangerous. You, you know, so I, I love that. I don't know why that came to me. Let's get dangerous. <laughs> it is important that what we consider to be the truth be the, the truth. Because when the world falls apart, don't think for a moment that many of our evangelical friends are going to be there to catch us. I don't think they will be. No, I think many of them will be there to make fun of us, to call us heretics and unbelievers. People will look at this church and the people who go here, they're people who have been deceived by Satan. They're lost. How do I know that? Because I've had people tell me that. You see, the day will come when we'll not just be that nice church that believes some weird stuff. What happens if we become that church that's a danger to our community? If we're branded a cult, if the greater community decides we're going to turn them over to Satan, we're not going to have anything to do with them people, uh, just ignore them, they'll go away eventually. You know, so I have to ask you again, what do you believe? What do you want your children to believe? What do you want your children to learn in church when they go to Sunday school, when they go to junior church? What do you want your kids to learn at camp? Because what we believe, it matters. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about some of the general signs of things that will occur before the end. And one of those is this idea of betrayal, that there will be people, believers, who will betray one another. Many will fall away from the true faith and betray one another. I do believe that our Christian brothers, there are some out there who would find it very easy to betray a biblical Unitarian church. 
Some of them already brand us as a cult, as a group of heretics. I mean, what's wrong with turning those people in? You know, we're such a small group. And for a long time, that's what really bothered me most when I first joined the Church of God was, man, there's just not very many of us. I mean, if this is it, if, if we really have the truth, billions and billions of people have been tricked. I mean, what's, what's going on here? You would think that more people would be able to read the Bible and interpret it accurately. You know, we as a church, we're between a rock and a hard place. We're stuck between a, a liberal culture that rejects any type of, of absolute values, right and wrong, good and bad. I mean, what's popular today, it's what you think is good and bad. Many of the things that when I was a kid, we were taught was wrong. Most of my students would look at you like you had three eyeballs if you, if you mentioned certain things as being wrong. We're trapped between that liberal culture and a conservative culture of, 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 of evangelical believers who brand us as heretics. I mean, we're like a, you know, where do we fit in there? One thing I've learned is people love to divide other people into two groups, us and them. And unfortunately, in most of the Christian world, we're put in the them category. You know, I believe in the God of the Bible, and my journey has led me here to love these distinctive truths that we've been teaching for the last two or three months that Kyle is trying to teach in his seminar. And thank God so many of you have gone to that and have shown a real interest in that. Praise God. To really understand what it is that we, that we believe, because it is important. You know, my purpose today as we wrap up, it's not to frighten anybody. It's not to make anyone have second thoughts. Gee, honey, do you hear what he said? Let's get out of here. We, we don't, we're not coming back. But it's to remind you that what we teach and hold dear is unique and powerful. I've seen some in the church of God almost become apologetic for what they believe. I'm sorry, this is, this, it's kind of what we believe. Almost, you know, I, I'm sorry I believe this. I, you know, instead of saying, no, this is the truth. This is what I believe because it is the truth. I know that it doesn't equate with what you believe or maybe what you were taught or what grandma told you. But I see this from the word of God. What we believe has not come cheap, and it's not been without cost. Throughout all of history, Unitarian believers have been a minority. They have been persecuted. You realize we had a couple of guys just five, six, seven years ago. A couple of guys, uh, I believe they were either in Iran or Pakistan. Pakistan? And they testified to the Church of God beliefs, and they were, they were killed. 
They were martyred for the faith. Not the faith of the Baptists, not the faith of the Methodists, for the faith for the truths that we hold dear. There are people in the world who die for that. I want you to think about that. And I wondered, you know, I've heard it all the time, if we have the truth, how can so much of Christianity have gotten it wrong? I did a little research, and I've come to find out that biblical Unitarianism, it's always existed. It's always been there. God has preserved the truth of the Bible from the days of the early church until now. Just because most of our religious culture accepts the Trinity, don't be deceived into thinking that this has always been the status quo throughout all of history. Biblical Unitarians, like us, have struggled along from the beginning, and we will struggle to the end, spreading the truth of the Bible and the knowledge of God's kingdom. So my challenge to you is, you know, take some time this week thinking about what do you believe, because it does matter. Now, we don't have a test, you know, if you don't pass this, you better get out of here. That's not how it works. And praise God, we as, as Christians tend to view the greater Christendom as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, I know you believe in the Trinity, but you know what? I still see you and believe in you as a Christian. That favor is not always returned. I want you to think about that. Up here, um, throughout the whole service here, I have a website that I would like for you to, to go to. If you have your device, I do this in class all the time. If you have your device, please take it out now. And, of course, most people are been playing with it anyways for, you know. <laughs> take that out and get on your favorite web browser, whatever it is, and type in, in the blue, HTTPS, black backwards, backwards, cogg.org, churchofgodgeneralconference.org. You will find a plethora of materials for you to, to look at, to consume. If you're like me, you like to listen to Christian radio. Doing that is uplifting. I love to listen to the music. I love to the sermons, the messages. But most of all of that is written by people who would look at what I believe and say, you're crazy. So my challenge to you is to take some time this week, go there, turn off the radio, turn off Chuck Swindoll, don't listen to James Dobson, turn off those guys, go there and click on the Connect tab, and you will find dozens and dozens of churches just like us preaching the word every week. You'll see videos who teach like we do. You'll go, there are forums, there are places you, on Facebook where you can go and you can interact and you can start to see that we are a part of a much bigger Christian brotherhood than you may have ever thought. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. 
I want to see us as a church not apologize for what we believe. I want you to confidently know what it is that you believe. So that when the time comes, somebody asks you, don't you go to that weird church down the road? You can say, yes, I go to North Hills. We're not a weird church. Most of the time. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Uh, Very strange message from me. I usually don't preach on these things. But Lord, I am thankful that we as a church have seen fit to spend the time needed to, over the last few months to, to really look at your word and to understand what it is that we really believe as a church body. And that, yes, that is important because, Lord, above all things, we want to know you. We want to know the truth, like the, the Bereans. Every day we look to see you know, what is the truth. We don't want to be influenced by outside forces or what this person said or that. God, give us the truth. That's that's my prayer. Father, help us today to do that, to love this church, to be proud of this church, and to do whatever we can to lift you up and to bring others into a knowledge of salvation and the coming kingdom of God. Father, we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with the song that we closed last Sunday. Um.